right. Well, hey, small group leaders. I guess I can say uh, uh, Happy Reformation Day. Is that it? Is four hundred ninety ninth? Yeah, it is. They they actually played something on NPR nice. celebrating Reformation Day with uh, classical music. Played some Bach. That's pretty amazing. Which I thought was pretty neat. It gives me hope. Yeah. Well, Pastor Andrew, thank you for sitting down and answering, going through some of your sermon and answering some of these questions that some of the small group leaders and people in their small group submitted. Um, I have one, two, three, four, five, six questions to get through. So we'll just jump right in and get started with number one. Um, This question says, how do we reconcile um, God is the God of second chances and God gives us do-overs, which I think they're uh, paraphrasing a couple of comments that you might have made in the sermon yesterday. Uh, how do you reconcile that with the gospel of the finished work of Christ? Yeah, I think, I mean, the gospel is all about uh, redemption. And it's the idea that every time we sin, we confess our sins. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, no matter how many times we come to him with the same sin over and over and over again. I think Psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 103 says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him. It's that idea that God forgives us every time we come to him, and so that's the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance. As long as we continue to, to strive to have that right relationship with the Lord, he doesn't hold our sin against us. It says that in Psalm 103 too. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquity. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. So, so would you say it's a um, an acknowledgement of the the depths of the the grace that God's provided for us in the gospel? So it's kind of a, kind of a you know when you talk about third chance, fourth chance, right? It's I mean, sometimes people can um, be defeated in their sin. Man, I'm sh- I'm still struggling with the same sin I've been struggling with. I'm defeated. That cripples me from um, moving further in my walk with the Lord, if you will. Right. I mean, I think of that Proverbs where it says, "As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool yeah. returns to his folly." And you're like, "Man, I yeah. must be a fool because yeah, I keep yeah, yeah, going yeah. back to this same sin or whatever the sin it is." that you're struggling with. And I think the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, when he talks about my grace is sufficient. Now, it was it was the thorn in the flesh yeah. of Satan to buffet him, lest he become exalted. Now, was this a physical ailment, or was it a... Maybe he had an addiction to sin, or maybe there was some sort of addiction to sin. And what, did the, what was Je- the Lord Jesus' response? It was, my grace is sufficient. Like, my grace will always be. You can't... My grace is forever. And no matter how many times you sin, my grace is there and you don't have to sin, but I'm always there to forgive you, and I'm always there to give you grace as you come to me. Yeah, I think a lot of times we we have one of two approaches when we deal with sin as Christians. Uh, one is we think that this, the way that we try to fight sin isn't a, a gospel-centered fight towards sin. It's just, I need to stop doing, stop doing, stop doing. And the problem when you when you're thinking of, i got to stop doing, stop doing, stop doing, all you're thinking about is that sin that you're trying to stop doing, where what we need to do is lean into the the personal work of Christ. Yeah, we need to, Yeah, we need to, to remember that we're a new creation. Uh, we're a new creation in Christ Jesus, and we need to live in response to 
being that new creation. Uh, and right. then, and then the other problem that we have is the let let me let me sin boldly because of the grace of God, right? right? So the Apostle Paul deals with that Romans six one. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Yeah, God forbid is what he says. Or I mean, I mean, literally that means don't even think that way. Yeah. Um, no, I like what you said with the idea of not sinning, not sinning. If we only think about not sinning, we're thinking about that sin. But when we think about Christ and his grace and his mercy and who he is, then we're having the mind of Christ. It's a completely different mind shift. Um, and I think that that's what it is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans twelve two, um, that the Apostle Paul talks about. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I think we've dealt with that one enough. Uh, question two says, what kind of encouragement would you give to believers in our church that are married to unbelievers? Well, I think I would give the same thing that the Apostle Paul says. Um, you know, if the unbelieving spouse will stay with you, stay married um, and and sanctify your home as a Christian. Um, make your home holy, even though you're married to an unbeliever. But if the unbelieving spouse doesn't want to be married... Um, then, then the Bible says, let him go. The Apostle Paul says, hey, let him go. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul really deals with this. And um, it's, it's just find your contentment in the Lord and find your contentment in the situation. But I, I do want to say this. If there is a, um, if there's an abuse going on, if the unbelieving spouse is abusing, um, then I would definitely push for separation because you don't want to put yourself in a harmful situation. Um you know, if you're going to get beat up or if you're getting abused, um, you know, definitely come in and get some counseling, definitely do some separation and hope and pray for restoration. Um, but if that doesn't happen, um, you know, then the Bible, the Bible does allow for that unbelieving spouse for you to kind of stay separated. Um, you know, the Bible does talk about that. So, that passage that you mentioned with the Apostle Paul talking about the uh, the faith of a believing spouse essentially sanctifying the unbelieving spouse or the unbelieving home. What are some uh, practical um, things that you would suggest that a believing spouse could do to promote the the sanctification of the unbelieving spouse, if you if you will? Right. It, it it's preached to them without without using a lot of words in a lot of cases because. Um, you know, there's a, I've got a family member, I have an aunt and uncle, and my aunt is a uh, very strong Christian. My uncle is not a believer. And, uh, over, over the last, uh, 40 years, 50 years that they've been married, um, he is very close to coming to know Christ as a result of her believing the Lord going to church. And he even goes to church with her now every Sunday. And she was faithfully getting up, going to church, faithfully getting the kids up and going to church faithfully, you know, and inviting him to come. Um, and sometimes he came and sometimes he didn't, but now he's faithfully going to church every Sunday. And uh, just to watch God starting to work in his life um, and watching the what God has done in the life of her children um, has been a huge testimony to the husband. So it's, it's you know, it's doing the things, being it's being godly in, in every aspect. That's good. Uh, the third question here is, uh, how can singles be content for the glory of God? Uh, singles being content for the glory of God. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think it, in even, 
you know, there's two singles in mind, right? You have the single that uh, has the gift of celibacy that's going to persevere in the singleness, and then you have the single that desires to be married. And so maybe speaking to those two. Well, if you have the gift, then God bless you. <laughs> um, no, you're in a different, you're in a different, you're in a whole different stratosphere. Um, I think that that's one of the things that you can serve the Lord unhindered. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what the Apostle Paul says. He's talking about this idea that there's not the the distraction of that's what he did too. All the different right, all the different things. Um, you know, of having to care for my wife and having to care for my children and you know those types of things. Now it's a joy and it's a blessing, but some people have the gift and they don't have a desire for that. So speaking to that is um, just continue to press on and don't don't become arrogant in that, but be humble and look for families that you can help. Find a family or two or three and become one of those guys um, or those girls that is kind of adopted into that family and act like an aunt or an uncle to the children and help raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, I think it's an important, important facet um, for those that have the gift. Uh, For those that want to be married, um, my response would be find your contentment in the Lord and wait 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 if you're if you're a female um my encouragement would be to wait and pray and um you know and ask the lord to really kind of um bring that person uh into your life to pursue you just as christ pursues us so i believe that it's best when the husband to be is pursuing the wife to be and if you're a male the Bible says he that finds a wife finds a good thing. So it's the idea of you better be out looking to go find. Um, you should have your eyes open. You should be looking. If you do want to be married, um, look and make sure that they're godly. Make sure that they're hardworking. Make sure that they continue to, you know, all the things that we talked about in Ruth on Sunday. That's good. Um, how, how would you help a couple, uh, a married couple, that struggles with the oneness concept of marriage, uh, how would you help them to understand the oneness concept and how would you help them to apply the oneness concept? Um, well, I, I, theologically, I think that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, re, re-emphasizing what was, what was said in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so the idea of being one is not just being one physically, um, you know, in a, in a sexual relationship, it's not just being one mentally of having the mi- same mind about things. Um, it's being oneness is looking at all four of those areas and looking and saying, okay, we are going to be one sexually. We are going to be one mentally. We are going to be one emotionally. We are going to be one, um, you know, in spirit, spiritually, and um, of, of one spiritual mind. And so it's that idea of looking in every one of those areas and saying, how do we be one, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, um, spiritually. And, and as we do that, I think that that's, that pushes us closer towards oneness. I know in Holly and I's life, um, you know, the idea of us being spiritually one is very different than it maybe it is in your and Braden's life. Um, because for us, it's, my wife and I, we tried to do devotions together, and it just it didn't work because we were doing different things, and we were trying to force it together. So now what we do is we do our devotions on our own. We have our own time with the Lord, 
and then we come together and we just kind of talk about what the Lord's teaching us over coffee, or we, we, we just talk about what the Lord's doing in our lives individually, and that's our spiritual oneness. And so for every couple, I think it looks different, the oneness aspect, sure. um, and looking at each of those areas, what, it, what does it mean to be one emotionally? When my wife is a little bit more emotional than I am, um, you know, for being one emotionally means I need to be more sensitive to her, and for one emotionally, you know, she she has to be more straightforward as kind of an introvert. She has to come out and say, hey, look, you really blew it here and be more assertive. And so that for us, that's how it works. But for other relationships and other couples, it's different. Um, but it's that idea of that we're going to come together and be a united front no matter what. I mean, you good. can speak into that. Yeah, I mean, so I was even thinking too of the, and this is more because that's really good pra- like practical nitty-gritty advice. And then the more um, kind of bird's-eye view picture of it is the uh, Christ relationship with the church, certainly is, is what Paul points to in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then he gives the charge, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same ways, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Um, and so I sometimes will talk about the, uh, you know, a, a lot of times churches don't spend a lot of time on what a believer's union with Christ looks like. And as husbands... Um, and 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 wives as well. We it's difficult to understand that one flesh union apart from understanding our oneness with Christ. And so, not just that He uh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, but from God the Father's perspective in Christ, it's as if we lived a perfect life, died on the cross. Like that's how closely associated uh, our lives is with the with the life of Christ. Um, is that that His actions are are credited to us, and and that's this. Um, that's what the Apostle Paul uses when he describes that oneness relationship between husband and wife. And so it really, to me, um, communicates this, this intimacy that no other relationship in your life, uh, that doesn't exist in any other relationship in your life outside of your relationship with your spouse. Uh, and the only other relationship that's compared to is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that communicates to me this sacred thing that you share as, as man and wife that is a reflection of the gospel. And so when that oneness is, is disrupted through our own sin, and so as, you know, if I'm um, uh, disrespectful toward Braden or if I sin against Braden, I'm communicating, I'm, I'm not just sinning against Braden, but I'm communicating to Braden what Jesus Christ looks like to the church. I'm saying Jesus Christ is rude to the church. Jesus Christ is mean to the church. And so I'm I'm giving a false picture of how Christ is with his bride when I sin against my wife. 
Right, and your kids too. And and to, yeah, Henry's my kids gonna, as Henry's well. going to see that too. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and my kids see that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I I think going back, I mean, going back to that idea of the oneness of, you know, heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, that idea of being one is how would Christ, how is Christ one with the Father? If you go to John seventeen, where Jesus and the Father, and they talk about that oneness, um, that there's no there's no separation. You know, in John 14, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, you know, it, it's it's really that in in the church. When people see the church, they should see Christ because it is that one fleshness. It's, it's the idea of, you know, in the natural sense, my, my wife took my name. You know, she's Holly Oates now. And, um, and so there's that idea of that we are one household, we are one. And, um, and when we invite Christ into our life, we are Christians or little Christs. We take the name of Christ um, upon us um, to, to act and represent Christ. Apostle Paul talks about that um, in Philippians, that we are Christ's ambassadors. You know, we are his representatives um, to this world as that oneness as well. So, I mean, it's not, just, it's not just for us to kind of be together, but it's also then to go out um, with the gospel, so that people see Christ um, in us as the you know as, as the bride of Christ in that regard as well. Yeah, that's so good. I think that's great. Yeah. All right. The um, next question is this: How do you continue um, in marriage if you're in a, a an abusive relationship? Yeah, I mean, I had I had talked about that. Um, I, I think that the Bible allows for biblical separation, separation of the idea of that we... And you're distinguishing that from divorce. I'm distinguishing that from divorce. I'm, I'm basically saying that if you're in a place that you are getting beat up or you are being abused, um, and, I'm not, and I'm not talking about someone says mean things to you um, once in a while, because I think at, at times in marriage, sometimes it can get real heated and... People can say mean things, you know, once in a while. But I'm talking about a consistent, daily, moment by moment, torturing, physical. Um, then I would push for biblical separation, which would be the idea of, hey, separate and figure out your relationship and where you are with God, especially if both people claim to be Christians, and get the counseling, get the pastoral counseling get the counseling that they need, the biblical counseling that they need to be one flesh because there's a distortion then that's taking place in the relationship. If one's an unbeliever um, and the unbeliever wants to go, let them go. Um, separate, let them go. Um, but if they if they both claim to be believers, then, I mean, I, I very much, um, especially when I, was a, when I was a pastor down in Florida, I dealt with a situation where the... Um, wife was being physically abused, um, where the husband would um, headbutt his wife, and the wife would say, "Well, he he never hits me. He doesn't hit me." Um, and when people would ask her and stuff, but she would have different marks on her and things, and it was like, "What? I don't. We don't understand." And once we once it all kind of came out, we very much pushed for separation uh, because she was being physically assaulted. And um, it was a dangerous situation for her. 
And, uh, and they did, they reconciled and he got some counseling, but it was a long process and a long journey of church discipline and church restoration. And it was beautiful to watch them come back together. And, um, and that, that does happen. That does happen. Um, but it, it is a long process and it is a process of them looking to come back together over time. And, um, and the church was very much, the church is very much has to be involved in that counselors and, um, and so that's so so that's the situation that I kind of push for, and there's a lot more to that. But if if you're in an abusive relationship, I would encourage you, um, the people that are listening, is to go talk to somebody, get some help, and and take it to the church, and let's let's figure this out and go through this process because these these processes sometimes are very unique. Um, each each individual case sometimes is very different, and they take time. They do. They do. Last question right here is this. Uh, Andrew talked about how the church is supposed to, uh, quote-unquote, make up the difference in whatever you are lacking, whatever uh, you individually are lacking. How does that apply to a single mother or a single father? And so how can the church make up the difference for a single mother or a single father? Well, I think that's great. I, I think it's it's looking and, you know, when I decide to go to a ball game or something very, in a very practical sense, it, it would be like, if, is there a single mother or is there you know, a single mother? I mean, her husband could be away on deployment or, um, you know, there's a, there's a men's retreat coming up, um, that Coastal's doing in January. And if there's some boys that want to go, I mean, there's some godly elders and godly men in our church that would sponsor a boy to come and they would hang out with them just to teach them what it is to be a man and, you know, to hang out and to be a part of what we're doing. Um, I think that's that in a very practical sense. Um, that's, that's what it's, it's talking about. It's, it's that you're, you're not just raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians six, but you're looking also to the children of the church and saying, Hey, these children that don't have fathers or don't have mothers, we're coming in, and we want to we want to see them raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I mean, it's the whole idea of really why we do child baby, you know, baby de- dedication. Yeah, you know, it's not just for it's not just for the baby. I mean, it's for the parents, and it's for the church that the church is saying, yes, we're going to help you raise this child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The parents, we're going to help you, parents. The parents are going to raise them, and you know, and we're all a part of this. It's kind of a, th- a theology of hospitality. Like, it's it's having this hospitable mentality with a purpose behind it. Well, and, it, and a theology of discipleship. Yeah. That, that I'm responsible to disciple every single person in this church um, and look in your immediate circle and who are the, what are the needs there and how can I disciple them? And, you know, talking to my, you know, my kids and saying, hey, we're going to invite, you know, this, 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 boy or this girl to come with us um, because right now their dad's not around or their mom's not around or just to kind of help um, that situation. God bless you. You, you. you held it all. I had to pull away. What man. a professional. I was about to snore. To, to what snore, a professional. Not to snore. <laughs> I was about to sneeze. <laughs> well, that is, that's all the questions. So maybe one last question in the spirit of people that are getting a ton of candy. What's your favorite candy? Favorite candy? It's a Reese's peanut butter cup. Reese's peanut. Uh, That's Pastor Sean's favorite as, as well. I know. Um, yeah, it's. 
I, I like, I'm not a candy guy. Um, like my wife, like I would rather have ice cream any day of the week. And your favorite ice cream? You told me this already, but. Oh, what? Chunky Monkey, Chunky man. Monkey, that's right. It's the chocolate and the banana ice cream. I think banana ice cream is fantastic, but it can't be like the chunky banana ice cream. It's got to be the whipped clean banana ice cream. It's uh, it's it's good. You're like an ice cream snob, kind of. Ah, yeah, probably. No standards. I, I now all the to. small group leaders and their small groups can uh, shower you with Chunky Monkey. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Let me I, warn you I though, would because be four hundred pounds. I, <laughs> I made a comment in a sermon one day that I really like red velvet, and that came through all the time. And now I found that I don't like red velvet so much. Oh, really? Yeah, I got too much of it. Well, but here's the deal. There's different I, types of red velvet cake. That's There's true. There's only one that's Chunky true. Monkey. So yeah. <laughs> yep. Like, I mean, unless someone makes their own kind of version of it, um, you know, there really is only one Chunky Monkey. So ex- really expensive Chunky Monkey yeah. for Pastor Andrew. Yeah, and I would be Chunky Monkey once if I ate it all. So, <laughs> so please, you know. <laughs> On that note, all right, thank you, small group leaders. Hope you have a great week, and uh, we're grateful for all that you guys do for the kingdom. Thanks. Thank you so much to those of you who submitted questions for the podcast this week. As always, if you do have any questions, you can send them to me, Josh Hazel, at my email address, josh, J-O-S-H, dot hazel, H-A-Z-E-L, at gocoastal.org. Again, if you send those questions in by Monday around 12 o'clock, we'll be able to incorporate them into the podcast for the week. And we pray that this is just another way that you can supplement your learning throughout the week as you prepare for your small group. Thanks again.